This episode of the Good Ship Brothership is brought to you by this metronome sound that uh, goes on in the background of the software that we use, and I have to mute it every time, just like that. And now on with the show. Well, <laughs> this feels weird. <laughs> I know. In some it was... ways, it's been uh, May, June, July, August. It's been like four months and change since we did an episode. And in some ways, it doesn't feel like that long. But in some ways, it feels like so much longer. Yeah. I feel like I don't know our order of operations. We're going to mess up compared wow. to how we yeah, used we to. Yeah, we really will. Just compared to... We had a decent show format in terms of like the order of operations. We definitely had... What what do we put in the middle? We had the gabber jabber that we had just put in the middle, uh, which was ah Netflix Netflix yeah. film. So I'm gonna pull up Netflix right now, and, and we'll you find do that something. while I talk about what I've been consuming well, lately. I gotta, I gotta Google the the uh, the, the bios. Okay, so hello everybody, and welcome back to the Good Ship Brothership, the only podcast. You're, Wait, the only arts is this after the music, film, music beat, gaming literature and what? Uh, long. That is after the. Okay. You were listening to the good. Okay. So wait, wait until we do the music. Yeah. Okay. Long story short, guys. <laughs> oh, so we're back. I'm gonna give a two minute explanation of what happened. Sure. So, I don't know if any of you guys know this, but we don't actually make money off of the show. We've been kind of lying to you about the whole Saudi Arabia or Kuwait, Kuwait, yeah. Kuwait, and the. We don't even know the radio ad guys. I gotta be honest. I feel like we need to start with a fresh radio honest head. Re- Sounds yeah. like you said radio ad. Radio head, guys. So I'm sorry we've been lying about that. But basically, our decision has been from the start that like if we're at a point in our life where we have too many things going on to the point where it would be stressful to keep doing this, we're just going to take a break because it's not worth it for us to do this if we're not having a blast. And so that's exactly what we did. So we took. Like a three-month break kind of thing while I've been starting to work a full-time job and getting into that whole thing. And Grant's been buying a car. And, well, I guess he bought a car before that. Oh, yeah. He has a girlfriend now and stuff like that. She probably won't listen to this. Oh. Um, and then after that, we finally... Were... Does, you're cool. And then after that, we were finally ready to record and we couldn't get the recording software to work. <laughs> so that gave us a few more weeks of uh, troubleshooting and putting off doing work before we've actually got it to work. So basically, that's it. It was just it was just kind of the final. The software not working was kind of the final nail in the coffin, where we both went, "Oh my word!" Like it, it, <laughs> as if it as if it was wasn't hard enough that we, you know, as if it wasn't hard enough to find the time to research and prepare notes and then find an evening where we can both sit down and record which is actually kind of difficult now yeah then we sit down to record and it doesn't work and that i think kind of just defeated the two of us for a little while until i just kind of stumbled upon <laughs> the solution a complete non-solution that you know seems to be working for so us all that to say we plan tentatively we're fairly fairly certain that we're going to be back to our every other week upload schedule um, we're sorry for those of you who have missed us. If any of you have missed us, that would actually, I would find that very touching. Um, I know that there are a few of you guys who are enjoying the show and hopefully that you'll, you won't be too out of the routine, uh, not to come back. Oh, yeah. Hopefully we haven't scared anybody away. Yeah. But anyways, um, there's our little explanation. We're going to be a little bit rusty, but basically let's, uh, resume our normal duties. So I guess we'll discuss first 
uh, what we've been consuming, watching, enjoying for our uh, film, music, gaming, and literature. Um, and for me, Grant's still doing computer, computer wizardry. So computer. I'm just computer wizardry. Um, uh, wizardry. Grant's ready to go. You're ready to go? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. so what have you been uh, consuming lately for media? Oh, boy. Um, I really, like, I'm looking at Netflix here trying to find a great Canadian Netflix selection for everybody this I episode. I have a couple. And, and I have not really been watching film. I saw, I saw, and you haven't seen this, maybe you saw just pre-climax yesterday because I put it on for Dad, but uh, uh, Unforgiven. The Clint Eastwood Western mm-hmm. was definitely a noteworthy film that I watched kind of since the last time we recorded, I guess. But like, I really haven't been chime in if you can think of something that I've seen that well, it doesn't have to be films. It can be other things. No, I, mean, I know. I'm just doing some no, reading I'm, and stuff. Like yeah. That. Yeah. Um, for the most part, I'd say I've been doing reading. I'm still, I'm still mired in infinite jest and I will not, you know, I will not give up on that. I'm about halfway through and I literally just had to take a break. I was like, okay, like the podcast, <laughs> like I just, yeah, I had to take a break. The, that book is exhausting to read. It, it truly is. But you it, find it enjoyable still? I find it like, unlike any other literary venture I've ever read and suspect ever will read. And it's one of those things where it is that book that pe- it's like war and peace. Mm-hmm. It is that book that people read halfway through and then give up. So is it like, what's the appeal? Is it educational for you as a writer or is it yeah. inspiring or the, like refreshing or what? The precision of the language that uh, is used. Sorry. I was just checking to make sure the cloud lifter was plugged in, which it is. The precision of the language that's used is like unerringly, eerily perfect he always david foster wallace always picked the right word even when that word is incredibly specific to whatever he's talking about right and 99.9 percent of his audience is going to need to go to a dictionary he's not afraid to make you do that he's not afraid to write something that is difficult to access as a reader something that you really have to fight with to be able to get inside yeah and it's it's a really weird it's very postmodern and very mm-hmm. in terms of just it's bouncing around from a halfway house for drug addicts and alcoholics to a tennis academy for kids to this weird rendezvous with a quebecois separatist separatist agent and an american uh, like FBI agent and they're like talking about why these these terrorists have unleashed this video this film on the world which is it's set in the near future sure supposed to be but still like futuristic mm-hmm. um they've unleashed this this thing they call I think they call it the entertainment okay. or infinite jest it's the infinite jest oh okay and it is a film that's so so entertaining that you watch it until you die and you you forsake all sorts of hygiene and all all you want to do is continue watching this film huh so that's kind of like the whole and then you find out that there may be connections from the film to the tennis academy to this underground college radio host 
who then just so happens to overdose on uh, heroin and end up at the halfway house. So then, um, <laughs> that's wild. It's like, it's, it's one insane. of those things where it's like such a deep story. But what I'm also interested about um, is I know you've been reading Ernest Hemingway at the same time, which is a really interesting comparison <laughs> to David Foster Wallace because for those of you who haven't read Hemingway, and I have, but not for a long time, He's notorious for using very, very simple, um, to the point language where it almost seems, um, it could almost be interpreted. Yeah, exactly. Elementary. So like, was that something you did intentionally? Like which, what do you find the, uh, the differences are in the reading experience other than like ease to read? Like I also read some Hunter S. Thompson in there. I read, uh, his book, Hell's Angels. Which which is completely different than like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, by the way. It's much, it's almost completely journalistic. So it's a journalistic look at the rise of the Hell's Angels to like ubiquity and how they became a nationwide menace in the states around the '60s, like the mid '60s. And why they became a nationwide menace, should they become a nationwide menace, was a lot of it national hysteria and sensationalism in the uh, in the newspapers and whatnot. Very, really interesting. And, of course, he spent like a year living amongst the Hells Angels. So that was, uh, that was a very interesting read. Very different from some of his other stuff, but still incredibly insightful. He was so insightful in terms of just the way that he saw politics and the press working together and how they fought back and forth with America, basically. He's... uh, Hunter S. Thompson, and I haven't read any of his stuff, which I need to get around to. That's a huge crime, because you you will read Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas in under two weeks flat, and you will absolutely love it. It's so absurd and, like, still achingly poignant somehow but the thing that really impressed me about him as a writer and then we should get onto our topics eventually but i need to talk about my We're stuff catching up with i know okay listeners. it's fine i guess if this, if this down, takes long buddy. sorry i'm never settled but the thing that impresses me so much about hunter thompson as a writer without ever having read his stuff is you can't deny that he has such a crazy range from doing things that are very journalistic such as hell's angels to things that are pure fiction um, to things that are, I believe, is Fearing and Loathing in Las Vegas kind of a cross? Because he did do that trip. Like, I know that it's not based on a true story, right. but Who he did that knows? trip. And, like, Who knows? the guy was a psycho, rest in peace. He t- t- he was crazy, yeah. So, I mean, he's capable of anything, I guess. So, is there anything else you but want to, to go, discuss? to go back to yeah. the Hemingway thing. Sorry. Um, it wasn't really it wasn't really intentional to go to Hemingway off of David Foster Wallace because they are like polar opposites. It was more like I'm really like just burnt out on this David Foster Wallace right now. I got like a buzz from reading Hunter Thompson and finishing a book in two weeks. Yeah. Which is <laughs> which weeks. is nothing. Like when we were kids when I, we would read like, like multiple books a week every week. Well, maybe not multiple a week every week, but I certainly had more time for reading and I read quicker and and my interest wasn't so divided. But anyway, I got a real buzz just from finishing a book for once. Yeah. So sure. and even like I read the book Thief while I was reading uh Infinite Jest and but that still took time. 
And so I thought, you know what, I'll just, I'm really in the mood for some classic literature here. Right. Something that's really stood the test of time and and is just universally, it's accepted that it's brilliant kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I started reading uh, Farewell to Arms by Hemingway. And it is absolute night and day from David Foster Wallace. David Foster Wallace is microscopic in his detail. Mm-hmm. Like he is so microscopic and he paints incredibly vivid pictures like images that are even as i'm saying that like in my brain as though i've watched a film the difference between david foster wallace and hemingway is what i just stated about foster wallace i have these images in my brain as though i've watched a film hemingway you read and ingest and you have these faded images like memories yeah sure like as though you were there they're not quite as as line drawn as Foster Wallace they're not quite as painstakingly high definition and almost Kubrickian like Stanley Kubrick yeah. films in your mind and and just so he and just the the things that David Foster Wallace would point out like the one character's uh shooting up drugs in this apartment bathroom and there's like she becomes fixated by a worn spot on the door near the uh-huh. bottom of the door and and like just just stuff like that that lends a story so much credibility these weird touches these weird moments that you would consider completely mundane and trivial as they passed you by but are maybe full of important nuance and and potency for a story and then you have Hemingway who does the exact opposite thing, who he wrote so plainly so that your mind would provide the prose, so that he would say, you know, the the uh, white flowers fell on the yellow road, and you would, and as I say a phrase like that, you conjure up in your mind what that looks like. Sure. And it looks like something different to everybody. So that's kind of the difference there. I think that for my own writing, something lies somewhere in the middle. Which is, I mean, almost every author is somewhere in the middle. Those are two literary extremes. But but it just, you know, I don't think either is right or wrong. Sure. Um, Hemingway is so, it goes down so easy to read that stuff. Like, I'll sit down for, I don't know, 45 minutes and I get up and I'm almost on 45 pages. Yeah. I've only sat down with that book a couple times and I'm already halfway through, so... It's very refreshing. I would totally recommend it to anybody, even if you're not normally a reader... It's very gripping stuff, and it's very easy to read, and you'll probably enjoy it. Interesting. Yeah. And I have played absolutely zero video games, like literally none. Yeah. (laughs) We're really excited about some that are upcoming, but uh, for now, yeah. Um, Quick question for you. Are we confident that we'll get this up by tomorrow evening? Because I'll make a social media post with that. Because we should. Because if I put that up, up, it's going to pressure us to do things. And and we don't want to leave it till Friday, right? Right, exactly. Okay, it's, I'm doing it. I'm doing the thing. Okay. Sorry, guys. I'm, okay. So for me, um, I haven't been doing much reading at all. I haven't been doing much of anything except just the one thing that I'll highlight is for like the last like six months, I've been really outside of the gaming world. Um, I've been, uh, playing Fortnite with my friends, which I know a lot of people hate, whatever, get over it, man. It's not your life. But then for the last few months, I haven't been doing that at all. It's like, there's only so much of a game I want to play. So 
just the last uh, week, I've gotten into Middle Earth Shadow of Mordor, which is a 2014 game developed by Monolith. <laughs> and can I just um, say... <laughs> I've gotten into it in a big way. He got into it because you said, what game do oh, you yeah. want to get? You want to uh, buy some I game. want to get the Horizon Zero Dawn DLC. Yeah, you DLC. want to get the DLC, and I was like, you know what, I could really go for a fantasy video game right now, but I really want to play that Lord of the Rings Shadow of Mordor game that came out. It just kind of struck me in an abstract way as something i'd be into and you were like no it's not that great no well you i just thought I, you don't want to play i was that. i was like i would you don't i was like that. i would vastly prefer to what? get the horizon dlc Middle but Earth? the thing is i already had the game Shadow on my pc so i got home that day or the next day i was like i'll boot Overrated. it up and, <laughs> and i've been having a ton of fun with it um You're i will thank you You're i will say like here's my two minute review um gameplay is super fun the nemesis system everybody has already talked about basically um enemies that kill you get recognition and there's like a whole screen that shows the like power struggles between different orcs so cool cool. so like a guy that killed you you could encounter hours later on and because he killed you he's like risen up through the ranks of the army of uruks and now can like uh challenge you and he has a whole squad of guys with him how Very that's been cool. overlooked in video games up to up to then, I'm not really sure. Yeah, cause to because to my knowledge, it, nothing beforehand had really done that. But it seems like the next logical evolution in the classic video game thug yeah. kind of thing, where you go through a level and you have these faceless opponents who you just dispatch one after another and that's the end of them. Now, I will say, after you play it for a while, I'm about halfway through it. I, I would estimate I've played like seven or eight hours. You do start to understand, like, you can see the mechanics behind it, and it doesn't seem, like, breathtakingly real, but it's still a ton of fun. Um, downsides are, some of the side quests are boring. The story is decent. It's not bad or great, but the story missions are kind of tiresome. It's like, just let me get back to the normal game, you know? Yeah. Um, and it also commits several, like, pretty big cardinal sins of gaming, such as, like, making you track stuff in detective mode like things like that where it's like i don't want to do that but overall i am having fun and and i asked you this before i can't really remember what your answer was is most of the gameplay like just tracking down these orcs uh, that are on your kind of hierarchy and killing them no not really the for the most part also Please check out my new swing line stapler that I got for like Ooh. for like ten bucks. That's a nice swing line and stapler. It came with it, get get how many um, staples it came with. I know staples probably may, mean like nothing to five thousand. Five thousand staples. Five thousand. I know you... that you know staples are probably one of the cheapest things ever to, <laughs> to get five thousand of. But it's still a beautiful. If you thing want five thousand, it something. came with a little D stapler as well. Oh, nice. For ten ten bucks, I didn't consider that too bad. Very cool. I got a new wall charger too because my old one's pooched. Um, but no, the majority of the gameplay isn't that. In a sense, the Nemesis system is basically incidental to the rest of the game. But it's like this something. It's like this added layer of complexity, okay. if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lot of the missions will be like we need. There's this reoccurring character named Ratbag, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. And he is an Uruk, and he's like a total wimp, loser, winger, whatever. But you're trying to get him up the ranks higher and higher in Sauron's army um and you're like manipulating him so that you have an in to actually get to Sauron himself so that's like one there are several legs of the story like that so overall I'm enjoying it 
um, it would be like probably near the bottom of my top 50. So it's good, but it's not like yeah. I'm not going to replay but it. But you're compelled by it still. Yes, definitely. Also, I totally forgot to mention, I've gotten really big into vintage mm. typewriters while yeah. we were away. Sure. Like real big into them. Like I'm really enjoying it. I'm using them to write pretty much everything right now. I haven't like, I have not honestly gone back into Microsoft Word and done like a serious writing session since I got my typewriters. Yeah. Like I'm absolutely loving writing with typewriters way more than even I thought I would. Cause I sit down and, and all I'm doing is writing. But it's as fast as a computer. Yeah. Whereas I'd be on a computer, and just the ability of being able to edit as I'm going decreases mm. my speed. That's true. Because you're like, I could have done that paragraph It's better. a rolling scissors. Yeah. You know, like the, the aerial combat maneuver, the rolling scissors? Mm-hmm. It's that. It's edit, write, edit, write, edit, write. And it that's good. And it, it might yield something that's a bit more coherent on the first... Uh, on the first draft, but like Hemingway said, the first draft of anything is sh, you know, fill in the rest. Yeah. Um. So I think just in terms of getting the work out there, writing it, the typewriter has made me way faster, way more productive with the time that I have mm-hmm. when I'm writing, and I adore the design of them. I love the look of them. I like working on the mechanical aspects of them. It's definitely a very cool, like, trinket thing, just in terms of, like, the design and mechanics and stuff is, yeah. like, and is definitely endless entertainment. I can see the appeal of that. Yeah, and also incredibly satisfying to, like, type on yeah, them. Yeah, sure. And you see the the type slug come up on the end of the arm, and they strike the ribbon, and there's your, you know, you're just stamping out a novel letter by letter. It reminds me very much of an open-top piano when you watch the hammers hit the strings it's and, like, beautiful. the dampers it, lift up. Like it's, it's hypnotic. Yeah. it tru- Like, it truly is, and you're watching the kind of shift you know knock the the carriage around anyway so i've gotten really big into that and i'm having an absolute blast with that it's kind of taken over quite a bit of my free time looking at them and researching them and bidding on them on ebay but you know that's fine that's why we haven't recorded in four months yep. it's only the so, typewriters and i typewriter typewritered out all my notes for this show as well of course you did are we ready to go are we ready yep what the sorry hearts? No, but you got it. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Sorry. We haven't oiled our theme music machine in like four months, yeah. so he's just trying to prime it right now. And he just kind of... Okay, here we go. <laughs> this feels so weird. <laughs> Why do we have pretzels? Ready? Go. Why don't we have pretzels? It's because we're German. <laughs> Barely. I need scissors. Oh no. We have to have knives in here. Oh. God, let me be honest. It's so good to be back. It's so good to be we back. We need it. I yeah. really like. I miss recording. I know. Me too. A couple times a week. Probably. It was still a necessary thing. It wouldn't have been worth it if we hadn't been having fun. But now I feel like we're at a point of not even stability, but relative stability, where we can do this again. You're, You're aboard, aboard the, the Good, good Ship Brothership. Brothership. What is the Good Ship Brothership? The it's the only arts podcast that covers film, music, gaming, literature, and glutino gluten free pretzels. Typewriters. I'm going to do a typewriter review every episode now. Are we going to eat 
pretzels to it. Yeah. Professional. Okay. Professionalism. Okay, Jason. Uh, I'm Grant, and this is my brother Jason. Hello. We're 25 uh, minutes in, so I hope you know that already. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, what are we What are we talking about today? Here today, we're talking about the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson film starring Adam Sandler, Punch Drunk Love, and the Arctic Monkeys. Uh, quasi new album. It's been out for several months at this point. It's a little moldy. The Arctic, okay, the Arctic Monkeys 2018 album, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Um, so these are both kind of interesting reviews for us. Paul Thomas Anderson, I think, is your. I don't know if you would say he's your favorite director of all time. I think you would. Here, here's my. Um, here's how I would talk about Paul Thomas Anderson. I think probably for the film output. I might like the Coen brothers a bit more, a bit more, mm-hmm. but they're two guys sure, who are writer-directors. When you get a, one guy who's Paul Thomas Anderson, who has released, let's just, let's just pull up, I've got a bunch of his, um, of his films on Blu-ray, because I, whenever I really love, whenever I really love a film, I get it on Blu-ray, but he's made... There Will Be Blood, amazing film. The Master, haven't seen it yet. Inherent Vice, very weird, based on a Thomas Pynchon novel. Boogie Nights, also haven't seen that, critically acclaimed. But he has Magnolia, adore Magnolia. Really like There Will Be Blood, but like Magnolia more. Punch Shrunk Love, we'll get into that. Uh, and Phantom Thread, which was really interesting as well. Uh, he's, he's just, uh, the Dirk Diggler story, Heart Eight. He's... As a writer, he is somebody who I supremely admire, and we'll get into why. But so safe all that, to say, he's incredibly good. Yeah. All that to say, the movie's Sorry. basically a winner unless something horrible went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, the Arctic Monkeys is a really different conversation. So we love the Arctic Monkeys; like they're one of my favorite bands of all time, and I think probably yours as well. And they've never put out a bad or even like a, a mediocre record, in my estimation. However, their latest album, which was released, I think, in 2014, but don't quote me on that. 2015, um, I think. 2015? I just, in my mind. Which is uh, AM, was easily their worst album, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinions. And it was kind of like... 2013! 2013. Wow. <laughs> and it was kind of a more watered-down version of their old sound. It sounded like they were going mainstream. It and... was a more watered-down version of the Black Keys. Exactly. Really. And I think it was still a good album, but all of their albums before that, I think, were great. And we really feared, like, I was almost certain that they were slipping down the path of becoming, like, mainstream watered down. Similar to what happened to the Black Keys, in my opinion. Although I think Arctic Monkeys was always better than the Black Keys. So all that to say, we were really interested to see how this album would shake out. Since we were really afraid it would just be, like, a slightly worse version of AM. So, yeah. with that in mind, we're going to flip the puppet and decide uh, what should be what. So, I think Punch Drunk Love should be Eyes Down. down. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. We never disagree about we that. We have before. No. So, Face Down is Punch Drunk Love. We're going to talk right. about Tranquility Base Hotel and oh, Casino. my word. So, do you want to start? Sure. We're go- I feel okay. like we're going to have semi-conflicting opinions about this. Tranquility? I'm pre- okay. Pretzels. Be quiet. Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino is the sixth studio album by English rock band Arctic Monkeys. It was released on the 11th of May, 2018 
by the Domino Recording Company. The album was written by band frontman Alex Turner in 2016 on a Steinway Vertigrand piano in his Los Angeles home, because he's posh like that, and features a lush sound embodying lounge pop, space pop, glam rock, and psychedelic pop. Did I say glam rock? Nope. Okay. As well as elements of jazz. It is a major departure from the band's previous guitar-heavy work, notably less accessible than its internationally successful predecessor, AM. It was produced in Los Angeles, Paris, and London by frequent Arctic Monkeys collaborator James Ford and Turner, alongside a wide array of guest musicians including Tom Rowley, Lauren Humphrey, James Wrighton, Zach Dawes. I wonder if that's Zach Dawes of Dawes. It must be. Oh, no. Wow, okay, that's weird. Um, Zach Dawes, Tyler Park, Ford, and Cam Avery. Its lyrical content draws heavily from science fiction and film, exploring consumerism, politics, religion, and technology through the concept of a luxury resort on the moon. Yeah. Turner designed the album artwork himself, which depicts the titular hotel through cardboard cutouts and a tape recorder. Let me just say, I really do really like the uh, album art. I never realized that's what it was. I wondered what the uh, what the tape recorder was. It looked like it looks like controls for something. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's terrible. Wow. Oh yeah, that's a huge zoom in on that. But anyway, that's kind of besides the point. All right, so I, AM was the album at which I got into Arctic Monkeys. Yes. As a lad, it was new at the time, mm-hmm. and I really fell in love with songs like "Are You Mine." Great guitar riff in that song, like incredibly good guitar riff, and uh, and uh, oh, what's it called? Do I want to know? Mm-hmm. Another great guitar riff, but not as good as "Are You Mine." "Are You Mine" just has that there energy, are lots of good songs that, on that galloping album. energy. It was very poorly produced, number one though. party anthem. I love number one party anthem's great. So is "Why Do You Only Call Me When You're High." So is one I want to be road. yours is good. I want to be yours. It was a good, good album. It it's was a just good downhill. Album, I think I, but you know there was there were also songs like Fireside on it, which knee was socks. just and knee socks. Like there was some stuff that was just boring, and they sounded bored and like they were phoning it in. So my fear was that they were going to do a uh, a redux of AM due to the commercial success that they experienced with it. Now, that's totally not the the uh, the case. Uh, going into this album, listening to it for the first time, I I heard just a lot of uh, four four piano chords, you know, on the on the quarter beat and and some really lame drum beats throughout the entire album with a drummer who is has such a strong character as a drummer. When you listen to, I mean his his roots are definitely in the in the punk stuff like Brian Storm. Yeah. Or Teddy Picker. He has or, some sweet beats in their or, older stuff. Oh my! Or even, uh, even like "Are You Mine?" Or even yeah. in a song like uh, "Pretty Visitors," which has oh. some of the most ferocious and aggressive drumming I've ever heard in my entire life. And hit and Matthew Helder's drumming on this album, while it's serviceable, has absolutely no character. What drumming or personality <laughs> to it whatsoever? And to be honest, neither does the piano. And to be honest. The guitar is kind of boring. The only instrument that I've heard improved on this album is the bass. The bass sounds rounder and more full 
on this album than it has on any other Arctic Monkeys album where it sounded kind of flat and farty and hollow. But with the guitars, you have the same kind of... Uh, Jamie Cook, I think is his name. Brittle, washed-out fuzz, lots of reverb on it. Kind of got old for me a while ago. I don't think it sounds very good. Uh, so instrumentally, I'm not, I wasn't really a fan uh, with what I was hearing. A lot of the vocal melodies are kind of wandering and unsatisfying and generally lack kind of like a drive or a propulsion or some kind of a hook to them, mm-hmm. which is not what this album's going for. It's so hyped up and it's bundled out with the album every time I hear somebody speak about the album that it's a concept album. It's set in this luxury resort on the moon, blah, 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 blah. You really don't hear... Like, it's just not... For me, sure, it could be. But it could also be set, you know, in a bathtub factory in southern Wales. As somebody who did no research on this album... And, by the way, I'm going to start something... I'm going to start not listening to any like other people's opinions whatsoever going into something like this, if at all possible. Um... But as somebody who didn't do any like research in terms of like what the album's about or anything, I didn't know that that was a thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the only the only thing that makes you think it's uh, set at a hotel and casino is the name and the song where he says "Tranquility Base Hotel, hotel and Casino." casino. Uh, Brian speaking. Mark speaking. Mark speaking. Please tell me how I, I direct your call. Yeah. Anyway, it's just, and that was so he- that's been so heavily pitched with the album. Whenever they do an interview, so it's set in a. Hotel on the Moon. Tell us a bit about that. And then Alex Turner, well, it's a ridiculous so, accent. So, so. <laughs> Sorry. I was just Sorry, kind Alex. of wondering. No, he's got that weird Birmingham thing, like Peaky Blinders mm-hmm. almost. But anyway, a lot of the writing is nonsensical and annoying. There are moments of humor, and there's some offbeat lyrical genius, I would even go so far as to say. Like, she looks like fun. Unbelievably weird. It's probably my favorite song on the album for that reason. Uh, and to be clear, I... Mm, no, we'll get to that, okay? Um, I, I am... I'm. Let's just say I'm unspeakably glad to hear the Arctic Monkeys have done something that's not AM Part 2. Sure. Mo- flashes of lyrical genius, uh, but when you don't get those flashes of weird lyrical genius, like She Looks Like Fun, you got Alex Turner being kind of overly dense with his words way too many words in a line and it doesn't flow or he's being repetitious to the point of inducing like a concussion like in four out of five or they just repeat that chorus over and over and over again too many lyrics crowbarred into a melody like uh world's first ever monster truck front flip where he actually sings the world's first ever monster truck front flip and it, it's about as smooth as me saying it just there. Uh, you know, there there is a good way to do um, some, some of this stuff that he's trying to do, like the wandering lyrics and nonsensical lyrics. Gord Downey, I would actually say, from Tragically Hip, his lyrics uniformly make no sense. They yeah. never make any sense. But then it, it, they don't seem like they're trying to. He has like almost <laughs> a, a flow of way. consciousness. Yeah, Gord exactly. Downey. It's a mon- they're a montage of images from all all of time and place, whereas Turner's are kind of suggest some kind of ill-disciplined stab at saying something coherent. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody reviewed this album better than Alex in the song Science Fiction. 
<clears throat> Quote, so I tried to write a song to make you blush, but I have a feeling that the whole thing may just end up too clever for its own good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yeah, there are great songs. I really like She Looks Like Fun, and I love Batphone. Yeah. Two excellent songs, especially Batphone. Really well written, like some uh-huh. of their older stuff. Really cool imagery as well. But for the most part, this album completely has just fallen flat. The ar- Part of the Arctic Monkeys thing that I loved was their energy. And their, like, their manic energy on uh-huh. a lot of their stuff. Like, like really, really nuts. And uh, that's really what sold it for me, especially early on. And that's what connected to me was that spark. But they are trying new things. Lord knows they were not trying to There's... make an album that would sell albums. Yeah. And for that, I have to give them props. There can be almost no argument that they are not dead in the water. Yeah, no. I don't think so. I think that their next album hopefully will be better. And and it sounds like, from what I heard, or from what I read in a couple interviews, that they're really hyped up on playing these new shows, or these new songs live, and they're loving playing shows together again. And that there's every chance that they might make and release another album within the next year or two. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll see. Well, we'll see. Uh, Over to you. Uh, that was so way too much. We were going to have to cut that out. Make a note of the time. 37.15 maybe. <laughs> Jason just slammed his hands on the table and completely... I'm going to try that again. ...blew out the microphone. No, you're not. Yes. Just quietly. No, I'll, I'll just cut it out. It'll be dead quiet for a split second. <laughs> That's as the memento to, you know. Okay, I was going to... Did your throat just gurgle? No. I swear I heard <laughs> nope. your throat gurgle. Okay, so I was going to slam the table and then go fight me. Um, So I do agree with some of what you said, but not most of it. So... um. We already said our feelings, our apprehensions, our our worries going into this album. And I was super refreshed. It kind of reminded me of the whole Lord situation when we reviewed Melodrama. And we were like, hey. Melo- Melodrama would eat this album like spaghetti. No. And, so, and we were like. it would. <laughs> oh, my word. This, okay. <laughs> I'm taking my shirt off. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we've taken our shirts off. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then we were really we were really happy when Melodrama was a good album. <laughs> so, uh, for a second there, I thought we were gonna get a Jason style breakdown no, on the first podcast no. back. So this was a really tough album for me to like digest, and it took me a very very long time to come to grips with it because. To me, it's the Arctic Monkeys trading in basically more or less all of what made them good for a different set of positive attributes. And is it worth it? I don't think so. I think that they, I think that this is probably the second worst album they made next to AM. I think this album is easily better than AM for sure, but I don't think it's as good as their old stuff. Um, Where would you rank it in terms with like with Suck It and See? Um, Suck It and See had awesome songs. Roughly on parody, probably a little bit below. Okay. Um, Because Suck It and See is probably... 
I'd say I'd have to say it's my second favorite of their albums. It is really good. I love that album. Um, so I guess when I first listened to it, I was kind of disappointed. It's slow. It's very lethargic for the majority of it. Like there is very little energy. Maybe a little bit, and she looks like fun, like what you're talking about, but not thrashy energy. There's no thrashy energy anywhere, which is what they used to have in Brian Storm, in Teddy Picker, in Dancing Shoes, in basically everything. AM was a transition out of it where they were a bit more refined, but now it's just like, it's completely gone. Um, the drums really disappointed me. I'll be brief on these points that you already talked on. Matt Helders is one of my favorite uh, drummers in history, frankly. I think, like, Brian Storm, Teddy Picker, especially all the pretty visitors, are like, he's an animal. He's an animal. And there's nothing that makes me notice the drums in this entire album. Like, I listen for that, and it's it's such an untapped resource that it really makes me sad and is a pretty big turnoff. Um, the guitar I thought was okay. It has nice percussive bits, which is really nice. Uh, again, no energy there, but I think, and see if you would agree with this, I think that for all the loss of energy, the guitar gained a little bit of originality and character in terms of the guitar lines. I found them a little bit more interesting, uh, um, but I have in my notes, not sure if that's a good trade-off, not sure if that's a worthwhile trade-off. I think that, hmm. I would go so far as to say that Suck It and See is the height of Arctic Monkey's guitar usage. You've got yeah. these sparkling, lightly overdriven, kind of arpeggiated chords and riffs, almost like U2 yeah. in a lot of the album. And then that wild, wild fuzz guitar that's like kind of muted mm-hmm. and kind of woolly sounding. And it just kind of like screams and like rips and slides through the album. Like it's going way too fast for the rest of the album. Sure. And it's like a, it's like a, you know, a Molotov cocktail in the Crystal Palace kind of thing. That I think is the height of their guitar originality. Yeah. This album, it's just so sparse. Yeah, it's guitar. true. And I think that the space gives, like the space lets it breathe a little bit, which I enjoy. And the piano was chill. It didn't blow my mind, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was chill in a good way. Like, for better or for worse, it was chill. And I didn't mind that so much. Sometimes that's all I want. Um, In terms of, like, uh, production value, I think it's the best produced Arctic Monkeys album. Probably up there with Suck It and See, but I think even pipping that a little bit. As you said, AM had some major production gremlins, just in terms of, like, the bass basically sounding bad all the time. (laughs) I don't for understand no, how for no good reason. Professional musicians too, and and if you ever go on YouTube and you listen to the like live mix of Arctic right. Monkeys from Glastonbury right after they released AM, it very well Jack White's live mix from the Blunderbuss Airs was also terrible. Yeah, but it very well could be the worst mix live show I've ever heard. <laughs> and I'm like, and that's how are something. these? How? How? It's a platinum-selling record, for heaven's sake, I think. Probably, yeah. Like, how does this sound so bad? Um, But production, I was pleasantly surprised with. His writing, I think, is at least as good as anything he's done before. He's had some some big songs with stuff like, I think Cornerstone is my favorite writing that he ever did. Loves a Laser Quest, Pile Driver Waltz. Pile Driver Waltz. And I will say this, he was less consistent. So I guess I shouldn't say, as, like, as an album, I think it fell short a little bit, 
but song by song he had some awesome um moment like i i love the uh like his blade runner references the things that he sneaks in i just think are uh cool and entertaining and fit the vibe of the album really well they didn't take themselves too seriously and i feel like one of my biggest issues with am was it felt like they were starting to get like too big for their britches and this i think reversed it a bit because it was like no these guys still kind of have a chuckle over some of their songs like my favorite example of their lightheartedness from their old stuff was uh I can't remember what song it was. It ends, there's like a two-second pause, and then there's just a weird drum beat in the background. You hear someone go, I'm in a vest. Matthew J. Holders. Yeah, that would be. exactly. But they seem to have recaptured that like lightheartedness, um, and I find that really, really enjoyable. Um, I'm really happy to see the Arctic Monkeys take such a dramatic turn instead of skewing more towards mainstream, as we said. I think... Uh, I think that that was a serious danger, and I think that after this album, I will be more excited and less nervous for whatever they put out afterwards. Um, yeah, that's most of my thoughts. Overall, the best way I can sum it up is to say that they really did trade in everything that made the Arctic Monkeys good for another set of attributes that was largely positive. I don't think it was completely worth it. I think this is not as good as their old albums overall, but I think it's better than AM. I think it's more creatively satisfying to listen to than AM was, and I think it's a really cool direction for the band. So maybe not an epic win, maybe not an epic loss, but definitely, like I would say, around an 8 out of 10 album for me. I'm really enjoying it. I've been listening to it like at least once or twice a week since it came out in May. I probably listened to it three times, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to find... There's a song with a lyric that says, Kiss Me Underneath the Moon's Side Boob. Yeah, that's uh, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Is it? Yeah. What a freaking stupid line that is. Yeah. That's so bad. I'm not saying that it's, it's like this bastion so, of great dude, writing. that's so bad, though. It's no... Uh... But it's also no city in color. <laughs> no, but it's, it's Alex Turner. The dude knows better than to write something like but he had Kiss bad... Me Underneath the Moon's Side Boob. He had That's bad a... writing. Look dude. at Knee Socks. Knee Socks was bad writing. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yes, it is. No, I'm, it's not. I'm looking at the Knee Socks lyrics right now. My sky blue Lacoste. <laughs> Your Knee Socks. <laughs> when you wander around the house wearing my sky blue Lacoste. In your knee socks. That's not like that's not even a terrible that's not a terrible lyric. It's just kind of like it's a little cringy, but like honestly, that's like Okay, let's let's see these lyrics here to this album mm-hmm. you love so much. Jesus in the day spa, filling out the information form. Mama got her hair done, just popping out to sing a protest song. Uh, I've been on a bender back to that prof- prophetic esplanade where I ponder all the questions but just manage to miss miss the mark. Good afternoon, Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino. Mark speaking. Please tell me how may I direct your call. This magical thinking feels as if it mil- really might catch on. Mama wants some answers. Do you remember where it all went wrong? Technological advances really bloody, bloody get me in the mood. Pull me in close on a crisp eve, baby. Kiss me underneath the moon's side boob. Like, 
That is not good. <laughs> that is not good writing. It doesn't make any sense. The It's like, for the chorus, it's like, oh, I guess I better remind everybody that Tranquility Base Hotel and Casino is a thing. Definitely not a strong track on the album. But they've had stinkers in the past, as we said. But, okay, so... Let's. <laughs> Why are you fighting me so much on this? Well, because it's. I don't like. It's not. Uh, it's just not. Then look good. up. The, go so, back to the track list. No, I'm going to Bathroom, <laughs> okay. which is a great. Yeah. Has great lyrics. This is just what I'm trying to tell you. Is it's such an uneven album. I want an in- interesting synonym to describe this thing that you say we are all grandfathered in. To use the search engine. Too much to discuss over a bucket of balls. I can recall the glow of your low beams. It's the big night in Tinsel City. Life became a spectator sport. I launched I my this. fragrance called Integrity. I sell the fact that I can't be bought. Have I told you all about the time that I got sucked into a hole through a handheld device? That's a little lame. I will flash back now and again, but I'm usually alright. Thankfully, the process has been simplified since last time you tried. The, the, the uh, chorus is what gets me. I've recognized the glow of your low beams numerous times. I'll be by the bat phone if you need to get a hold. Making a selection, opening credits roll, panoramic windows looking out across your soul. Like, that is, I just got chills. These are good lyrics. And that's 90% of the album. No, it's not. That's like 40, 30% of the album, maybe. Okay, goodbye. Um, I've recognized, this is, this is the best. Okay, ready? I've recognized the glow of your low beams numerous times through fairly opaque blinds in the sitting room. Vehicles will pass by, but I know when it's you. That, like, that's, these are, that I know. is, that's phenomenal I'm not writing. arguing with you, man. I'll be in a nosedive in my flying shoes right behind your door, your closed eyes like a memory from your youth. I'll be back by the bat phone if you need to get a hold. Opening selection, or making a selection, opening credits roll. Killer pink flamingos, computer controlled, panoramic windows looking out across your soul. Just stop already. Okay, who's the one who's reading poetry versus who's the troglodyte across the table who's smashing on the furniture, making the mics clip? It might be a troglodyte. But I'm least, sorry, I'm trying to... At least I'm right. I'm more like a troglodyte. You're really not. Okay, so we've come to the part of the show which is the Gabber Jabber, and I can't remember what theme song we had, so I'm just going to just randomize this. Oh yes You've reached the part of the show known as The Gabber Jabber Where we take pics off of Netflix That tickle our fancy It could go on for the rest of the show. Can you turn the volume down and leave it in the background? This is supposed to be an interstitial, so just do that. I don't know where the volume is. Those little arrow buttons? Not quite that much. So, today's pick uh, of the litter from I have, Netflix I have a couple too. is completely undecided so far. So, let me start then. I, I, I would I actually... Okay. okay, we have to talk a bit more softly Sorry. for this part of the... Oh, so I, I, I would... It's going to start again. Is it? <laughs> Please. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I would start with. I'd like the... to say hot fuzz. Okay, go ahead. You do hot fuzz. Um, hot fuzz is a really, really weird, really, really, really weird British comedy uh, featuring a 
a uh, top London cop assigned to investigate a seemingly sleepy town, which suddenly starts to stir with a series of grisly, quote-unquote, accidents. It's a uh, film by Edgar Wright, who worked with, uh, what is this man's name? Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, who's now huge due to his association with, you know, Marvel, Mission Impossible. He's in all the Mission Impossible movies now, and he's uh, also in... Uh, uh, Star Trek, but this is him way before all that. This is back in 2007 when he was making these very strange, offbeat, gruesome British comedies where with over-the-top gore and everything's very strange and kind of stilted. Definitely recommend it. <laughs> Jason? So my pick, I would say go on Public Enemies. That's not what I was thinking it was. Public That's Enemies fine. is a great... Um, no, I want to go... It's a great uh, film, too. I'm going to go way off the beaten path. And, well, okay, not off the beaten path. Off the beaten path of this show. I'm going to go with Bob's Burgers. Because we wow. never do comedies. We never do TV shows. But let's do a comedy and a TV show. I know everybody is probably watching this already, so this isn't really going to be news to you. But Bob's Burgers is this um, animated cartoon about a man named Bob, the titular character. And his family, um, he runs a restaurant, and they just have a, a wacky existence. They're like 20-minute episodes. They're pretty funny. Definitely worth watching. And coming from us, we don't really like comedy 90% of the time. But this is the Good Ship Brothership approved. I would also like to just throw the hat in the ring for uh, for Fury. I don't. I can't oh, remember I who, mean who, to who directed Fury. Fury. Um, but it stars Brad Pitt and... Uh, Shania O'Toole or whatever that kid's name is. What's his right. name? I don't know. Shandy Shosho Shusha Shosho. I turned it off. Shosh. Okay, whatever. Shoshosh. Who's that crazy dude who wore a paper bag over his head? Said that said I'm not famous on it. I don't know. Sasha O'Toole. The guy who looks like Randy. Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Okay, that guy. Shia LaBeouf's in it. Brad Pitt's in it. Uh, that guy who's in everything now who's always angry. He's in it. A couple other people in it. That guy there. You know who I'm talking about? Mm. He's in everything now. He's always angry. Okay. Um, great movie about a tank. Uh, the crew of a tank in the Second World War. And uh, just a really great idea to shoot basically a movie from inside a tank and show kind of how that crew operates and how the tank operates and the tension of that's inherent in the combat. The movie is not is far from perfect and it makes some pretty pretty remarkable missteps <clears throat> at times that I won't get into, but uh but apart from one scene which they really shouldn't have had in the film at all, I think that it's really really good. So yeah, that's this has been the Gabber Jabber. Okay, so now it's time to move on to the second second topic of this show, at, and we're probably at four hours and 55 minutes. Oh, it's fine. It's going to be like 10 minutes longer it's than like a reunion. Everybody's going to listen okay, to go it. Go to the Wikipedia it's page, okay. and I'll Wikipedia it up. Okay. Here you the best you reading go. career. <clears throat> Punch Drunk Love is a 2002 American romantic comedy drama film. Is it, though? 
Written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, starring Adam Sandler, Emily Watson, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Louise Guzman, 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 and Mary Lynn. Ooh, Rat, Rat, Scoob. Sandler stars as an entrepreneur. Sandler stars an entrepreneur with severe social anxiety who is set up on a date with his sister's coworker. The two immediately fall in love with each other, but he is forced to defend his new love interest and himself from thugs attempting to steal his identity and exhort him. Extort him. Not exhort him. That's very different. <laughs> <laughs> After the release of his previous film, Magnolia, which ran over three hours, Anderson stated Did? that he would like to work with Adam Sandler in the future and that he was determined to make his next film 90 minutes long. Mad respect. The film was produced by Revolution Studios and New Line Cinema and distributed by Columbia Pictures. It features the video art of Jeremy Blake in the form of visual interludes. Interesting. The film received positive reviews from critics, with Sandler's performance receiving critical praise, but failed to recoup its production budget at the box office. Unbelievable. Okay. So, as we were saying about uh, Paul Thomas Anderson earlier, and I kind of alluded my to my praise of his writing and how I'm, the goal for me is to write like Paul Thomas Anderson to write like his movies they're not only are they incredibly eclectic like wildly eclectic this is the guy who wrote There Will Be Blood which is about an oil baron in kind of like the wild west and about the battling of the industrial society with the church and how those two things were kind of coming up together, but it was incredibly historically <clears throat> accurate in terms of the uh, sets and the costumes and everything. It felt really authentic. You know, that, that film never put a foot wrong that way. But it's a battle of archetypes to uh, Phantom Thread, which is an incredibly personal film that's almost gothic in its storytelling and tells tells a strange tale of loyalty and love to inherent vice which is this wacky completely psychedelic and nonsensical film about a uh, stoner detective on the trail of some mad conspiracy to punch drunk love which is a fantastic realist kind of telling of this love story and i would say that it's a romantic comedy probably it's just like a cut above every other romantic comedy that's the thing um, it, it's Punch Drunk Love is a movie that, it, and also, excuse me, also super interesting that he went from working on Magnolia, which is a great film, but it's very highbrow, mm -hmm. and it's not very highbrow in the sense of it's difficult to watch. It's just very conceptually out there. Sure. Lots of intertwining narratives, like lots and lo like five, I think five mm. completely different narratives with different casts doing different things that intertwine in these weird, loose kinds of ways. And to come off that to this and request to work with Adam Sandler and make a 90-minute film is completely wild. Yes. <clears throat> but Shrunk Love is a movie that dances around expectations. The audience's expectations, that is. Some of your expectations are met, some are passed over, and some are just dodged altogether. I find that to be incredibly refreshing where a film or any kind of storytelling medium doesn't just roundly dodge all your expectations for it. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Where they go, oh, we're going to set up this, we're going to set up, oh, actually, psych, you know, we just robbed you of all your satisfaction that you were sitting in your seat waiting for. 
the the world of this film, the cinematography, the soundtrack, they work together, and it, it is a story of this re- really weird, manic, nervous guy and all of the filmmaking. But he experiences life so vividly, so viscerally, and so ferociously, um, and all of the all of the different aspects, the cogs in the machine of this film feel like extensions of his personality it feels like we are seeing and experiencing the world the way barry egan barry egan yeah the way he does i'm gonna turn this down it's bothering me and i find that to be so impressive the the colors are really vivid the light bursts and the soundtrack is frantic and kind of strange with all these like clattering drums and uh that really propel you and kind of kind of make you feel tense and excited Very stressful tense like and excited and, and nervous all at the same time the writing in terms of dialogue is really oddly believable i think the situations the way they're depicted they feel fantastic and like yeah it's never gonna happen how is this dude making a living working out of a kind of garage selling novelty toilet plungers um but somehow the writing especially the dialogue like i said anchors the film and and makes these stranger elements work it gives you kind of a license to work with these weird elements like the fact that he traveled across the country holding a telephone receiver in his hand uh the real life like like real life (laughs) that's that's how that should read like like in real life comedy is always blended with tragedy and pain you never just have one or the other really and the fantastic and the believable are blended with the mundane and everyday so you know in this age we're currently kind of at the tail end of i think or maybe we've just freshly pulled out of (laughs) of gritty (laughs) gritty filmmaking sorry (laughs) (laughs) why did you do that i'm sorry but i think it was christopher nolan who started the whole gritty filmmaking thing right where it's gonna be dark and serious and uh just like real life is but real life isn't just dark and serious right it works for the films that he made but real life truly isn't just dark and serious nor is it all vivid and spunky and funky and weird and that i think is something paul thomas anderson really understands and he nails it with this film it's it's a superb film it's perfectly paced it's beautifully shot and it's a story that's well told it's this is it's maybe the only film that I can think of off the top of my head that I truly would recommend literally everybody to see. I think there's something here for everybody if you come to it with an open mind. It will make you laugh. It will make you very uncomfortable. It could make you cry. Um... I don't think it's done that to me, but it's just, it's just a really, it's really something. It's really kind of beautiful and it's really offbeat in a believable fashion. And the characters are endearing, not irritating. And, and it's just a really interesting kind of representation of a character where a character is, is definitely fighting the good fight. There's no doubt about it. 
there's good guys and bad guys and right and wrong and black and white in this film. It's not really attempting to be, oh, is this a nuanced situation or whatever. But it leverages that so well. And I really have no problems with it. And even if even if I did, the fact that it's 90 minutes long <laughs> makes up for so many other crimes that it could commit, but it doesn't. And the fact that it's a gem of a film that's 90 minutes long with really great weird casting that you'd never think of and a really great weird story that you'd never think of just makes it such a winner for me. Mm-hmm. And I hope one day that I can write stories that are as slightly off kilter as this is where you've got fantastic elements that draw you in but grounded believable characters who keep you there sure yeah over to you um i love that movie so much so with the arctic monkeys i said that um what they've basically done is trade in their set of strengths for a different set of strengths with this movie what paul thomas anderson has done compared to there will be blood, which I realize came later, but I'm just using it as a frame of reference. Mm-hmm. Um, this movie has all the strengths of There Will Be Blood, plus a whole other set of strengths. I think There Will Be Blood is a very, very good movie in its own right, but it definitely has flaws. For sure. Definitely. For sure. Punch Drunk Love doesn't really have flaws, like, at all. Um... Um, it's a movie, I've only watched it twice, but it's like, the second time I watched it, you know, three or four months after the first time I watched it, it's like, it blew me away as much or more than last time. Very nice. Yeah. Um, and I watched it with our father, the last time I watched it, and it's always interesting to get... Who are in bedroom. <laughs> who are in bedroom. Um, and it's always very interesting to get his take on movies. He's overwhelmingly negative about almost anything that's good. But nevertheless, he always has interesting thoughts. And he really reinforced what you were saying and what I was saying about... He was, like, he was watching the scene... Um, he was watching the scene in the movie where um, Barry keeps getting phone lo- phones from this nefarious... Phone, phone calls from this nefarious <laughs> woman... Well, meanwhile, a guy's, like, beating a toilet plunger handle <laughs> against the cabin in the background. You kind of had to be there. And Dad's, like, he t- looks over at me. I forget what he said, but he said something along the lines of, like, why does this make me so stressed out? <laughs> and I'm, like, I don't know. Like, it's partially the way it's shot. It's shot with a relatively few amount of cuts. It's a lot of yeah, very long following like... shots. A lot of really tight stuff. A lot of movement. Wait, um, are there a lot of tight shots? Like, relatively so in that, like, it's not a wide shot with a character walking across. Yeah, the characters like are panning. not small. Yeah. yeah, it's like a panning shot. Um, meanwhile, there's this really frenetic, like, percussive, like, soundtrack, wailing weight that really... Is that when he punches a hole in the wall? Uh, no. And then, has to, and then puts a poster over it or something? <laughs> no. Okay. Um, it's this soundtrack that at first blush seems to really not fit the movie, but when you start to listen to it, you're like, this really does fit the movie. Yeah. Um, it seems jarring at first, which is interesting. It seems jarring when it first comes in, and then you really sink into it, don't you? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Towards the end of the movie, there's a song that I think really uh, jars me, and I can understand why he would put it in, but it does bother me still. Which one? Um, it's like, uh, He Loves Me. And I really he, like that. Um, and, and That got really shrill there. I'm so sorry yeah, for everybody geez. listening at home. 
Um, and so that threw me off a little bit, but that's a pretty minor gripe. I'm going to be grasping at straws for anything resembling a complaint. Um, so visually, this is absolutely world-class. It's one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in my entire life. No holds barred. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about it. In the photography sphere, neons, it's starting to fade a little bit. But very much the trend is these cold blues, hot pinks, yellows. Um, people with big round hipster glasses staring, looking at a window with a neon sign in it. This movie used that color palette in a more creative way um, 15 years before it was cool on social media. And the color palette is interesting because you don't really notice how unrealistic it is until you really start to think about the shots critically. At first you just think it's a really beautiful movie and you can't pin down why, and then you start to realize that real life's just not this vivid it's, at all. Well, but the thing is... There are some films, I'm trying to think of examples, but I am coming up short because I tend not to watch them or avoid them. There are films where it feels like the cinematography goes out of its way to find something beautiful. Sure. But a good film never does that. Mm -hmm. It always finds what's beautiful or interesting in the story. Within the confines of the story. And that's what this film does. Yeah, that's a good point. I think also it used really classic framing and cinematography beautifully when appropriate. There's this scene in an apartment building out in the hallway. That's one of my favorite movie shots of all time. And it's this massive corridor with all these concentric door frames. Yeah. And he framed it perfectly. So everything is like, it goes, it's like leading lines down to a point of non-existence kind of thing. where the, Or a tiny door frame right at the end of the shot. And there's one character standing centralized in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, how long do you think it took him to line that up? Because oh. when you have, yeah, that'd be very difficult. I want to um, know who does the um, cinematography. Robert Elswit. Um, additionally, those uh, there are interstitials, and we mentioned this when we read it uh, when we read the Wikipedia page. Sure. That are these weird morphing color kind of conceptual piece of visual art. I really enjoyed those. I think if they were used even one more time, it would have started to become overdone a little bit like, I think in 2001 A Space Odyssey, the strange transitions are so, too much. So that's the that's the visual artist. Oh, it's the same guy? What? in No. In, okay. You mean in this, mo- in this yes. movie? That's I thought you were saying it was the same guys in... I really okay. doubt that. No, me too. Probably a thousand years old. Exactly. Um, but yeah, it's the same idea, these colored transitions. And I really enjoyed them because they were used much more sparingly than in something like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, my only complaint visually, maybe this isn't even a valid complaint, I don't know. A lot of times for conversations, they cut off the tops of people's heads so that you barely even see their hairline. Yeah. I get that this was done to make characters feel closer and it makes it feel more personal. I understand that like from a theory point, but I just found it kind of an awkward framing to do all the time. That's more of a personal preference thing. Um... Writing-wise, the thing that I keep coming back to with this is that this is, hands down, the most human writing I've ever heard in a Hollywood movie. That's great, eh? Because it's so messy. And it's great, eh? Yeah. So, <laughs> my example scene for this, that guy's hot, is That's that... the guy who did the visual art. He's hot. He's dead. Oh. Rest in peace, Jerry. Yeah, figure that out. Um, so... No, you, der- you derailed me so hard on that. No, this is sad. Oh, he okay. killed himself. That's sad. Jeremy Blake is the visual artist, for those of you playing along at home. 
Rest in peace, Jeremy Blake. Wow, that's terrible. He drowned. I don't know how to continue from that. Huh. Anyways. Wow, this is strange. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> you really derailed sorry, that one, I gotta sorry, be honest. Sorry, That was an accident to find that. Um. So, the reason that the dialogue is so good is because it's so messy. And this yeah. is really on display right at the beginning. <laughs> um, long story short, it's kind of hard to explain because it's confusing when you're watching it. Um, a organ, a, like a miniature uh, organ sort of thing, is dropped off on the side of the road by the garage that Adam Sandler works at. And he picks it up and he takes it. And another character sees it sitting on the road right before he takes it. And then they see it in his office shortly after he takes it. Is it, what kind of instrument is it? I forget what it's called. Um, Mellow? I don't know. I'll look it up. Um, Sorry. Harmonium? Maybe. And she asks him, like, is that an organ in, is that uh, organ out in the road yours? And he goes, like, uh, it's kind of, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> and he just, it's like the most non-committal, like, unsatisfying thing that you could hear someone say, but at the same time, it seems so authentic. Harmonium, yeah. Harmonium, nice. It seems so authentic and so, like believable that it's comical just to hear him say it <laughs> um so that to me is one of the huge things that makes this film phenomenal is it blends this um believable with this um almost unearthly beauty in terms of visual fidelity uh, i'm just looking through my notes here i think i'm coming to, to wrap it up we already discussed how stressful the score is i think that's such a such an important piece of the formula and I think that's probably the biggest uh, differentiator between another similar film is the score really does make it just like a cut above um, all its competitors. Overall I would say I have no real complaints. I really struggled to write this review just because it's like usually you do the positives you do the negatives, you do the outcome there are very few negatives. Please, please please go and watch it it's easily in my top 10 films of all time at like 90 minutes it's not rushed but it's not dragged out unlike this podcast it's really a masterpiece <laughs> this podcast may very well be longer than that no film. it won't be <laughs> it might be um, it really is a masterpiece and like you said it's something that anybody can enjoy my only complaint on the top level is that I don't like the ending. It felt too safe. I can't really go into spoiler territory, but, but, but I think I would have enjoyed it more if it was either more or less extreme. That but, said, it doesn't really hold the film yeah. back significantly in my eyes. But here's the thing. And I would put it at around a, like a 9.5 out of 10. The ending, retrospectively, makes the rest of the film work even better. When you have that ending... No spoilers. When you have that ending, I know, the rest of the film looks so strange. And so, it like it's like life. You wind up at a certain point, you come through all these strange trials, tribulations, and you look around at yourself and those who you care about, and you go, you know what? That was weird, but we made it. That's true. I think that's what works about it. Now, let me just finish off these two reviews by reading the first two paragraphs. They don't really give anything away. Of the plot of Punch Drunk Love. If it sounds like something you you will like, promise the podcast as you're listening to it that you will listen or watch Punch Drunk Love. 
uh, is it on Netflix? I feel like it might be in Canada. I'm not sure. I want to say it might be. Nope. You got to find it. You got to rent it. You got to do something nefarious to get your hands on it. Okay. Barry Egan is a single man who owns a company that markets themed toilet plungers and other novelty items. He has seven overbearing sisters who ridicule and emotionally abuse him regularly and leads a lonely life punctuated by... This is a terrible sentence. He has seven overbearing sisters who ridicule and emotionally abuse him and he leads a lonely life punctuated by fits of rage and anguish. In the span of one morning, he witnesses an inexplicable car accident, picks up an abandoned harmonium from the street, and encounters Lena Leonard, a co-worker of one of his sisters, Elizabeth. Lena has orchestrated this meeting after seeing him in a family picture belonging to Elizabeth. <laughs> Coping with his loneliness, Barry calls a phone sex line, but the operator attempts to extort money and send, sends her four henchmen, who are brothers, to collect. This complicates his budding relationship with Lena, as well as his plan to exploit a loophole in a healthy choice promotion and amass one million frequent flyer miles by buying large quantities of pudding. <laughs> so yeah, I know if that sounds at all like funny or interesting to you, you just you just gotta trust us that it really is that good and watch the movie. Exactly. Because I guarantee you it will be a better use of your time than this podcast was. Probably. But if you're still here, and I don't know who will be, but some we've been surprised before. Yep. If you're still here, thank you. I'm sorry that we've been gone so long, but, yeah, but I it's think it's really it, good to be back. But really it's glad. really good to be back. I think the break was important to keep us from being kind of like, um, like to keep us really wanting to do this. Yes. You yeah. know, doing it for the sake of enjoyment and not because we feel obligated to. So I understand this podcast. I feel like we did okay. It might be a little bit more awkward than usual. But I think it's a very, we'll back into it. I think it's, yeah, really good that we took a break and even better that we're back. As always, if you have topic submissions, let us know. You well, can, yeah, you can email us at uh, thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com. You can do that. Message our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. We're always uh, looking for topic ideas. We're looking for show feedback. If you have constructive criticisms. If you have, criticisms, dis- if you if you have, have dis- criticisms, if you have destructive criticisms, criticisms of the world, <laughs> uh, let me just double check and make sure that that is actually, yep, the good ship brothership at gmail.com. Let's make sure that we don't have lots of unread emails because if we do, we're reading them all right now. Okay, Wi Fi, do the your page thing. loading, do page is still loading, we're still loading, we're almost at the one third mark. Okay, um, there's the one third. Okay, Coming up halfway. On the halfway mark for loading this Gmail. Account. Let me be honest. If you want to stay, you can save it. At this point, you can also just go. Yeah, you can leave. But you know, stick around. You might hear if we have any emails or not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what this might yield? Oh, oh no, we have yeah. one from Google. We've got yeah. Okay, we'll read this one. <laughs> Uh, this month, we're updating our privacy policy to make it easier for you to understand what information we collect and why we collect it. We've also taken steps to improve our privacy checkup and other controls we provide to safeguard your data and protect, protect your privacy. Okay, yeah. I have a feeling that might have been a mass email. That Please don't send email. us emails about privacy policies. Yeah. But seriously, uh, like we would really like to get kind of a rapport going back and forth with a few people. I know there's not a lot of you. And that's fine. We love each and every one of you, Harrison and Abigail and 
and Jonathan who listen to this podcast. Ben, Ben, if you're out there, yeah, tell us. Ben, if you're out there, email thegoodshipbrothership at gmail.com. Because we would really like to get kind of a rapport going back and forth with you. Because that's kind of why we started this. We started this so that we could have discussion about the stuff we're, we're into and the stuff that other people are into. So even if you've, if you've read a book or seen a film or played a game or heard an album and you think that we should know about it, you think that it, or it just affected you in, in a certain way, just let us know. Just let us know uh, what it is and and how. Just give us a, a short review, a paragraph or two. It doesn't have to be anything, anything spectacular. But it would be sweet if we could, if we could do that sort of thing. Don't you think? Absolutely. So next time, we haven't talked about what we're reviewing next. I really want to do the Milk Carton Kids 2018 album. Yeah, sure. All the things that. that I've done and all the things that I'll never do. That's mostly right. It sounds like talk. you're very familiar with it. I've only listened to it a couple times, I'll be honest with you. Stay tuned. And then, what else do you want to do? Um, I... Like, I kind of would like to do Phantom Thread, although that's another Paul Thomas Anderson film, but we could do kind of a little run of Paul Thomas Anderson films. We could do that. Let's do it. Let's do Phantom Thread. Um, also, I have not pitched this to you at all Mm -hmm. before right now, but... Watching Unforgiven, this Clint Eastwood western, that's like kind of his, it was his swan song western, the last one he said he'd ever make, and it has been. And many people would argue that it's his best. And I'm a huge fan of western films. You like western films too. Not quite as much as me, but you I like still western really films. I really like them. I think we should do a special on western films. On cowboy, spaghetti western. I think we should watch, like, I don't know how I'll many. I'll have to watch, like, at least five. I don't know how many. Let's see how many I have because I have a lot. You don't have The Magnificent Seven or Butch Cassidy? Yes, Sun- I do. Do you have Butch Cassidy and the Sundance no, Kid? I don't. Okay, so I have... Uh, so we have the uh, Clint Eastwood Anthology we've got, with yeah, the, the, well, the Man With No Name Man trilogy. No Name, so that's three. We've got Once Upon a Time in the West. Once Upon a Time in the West. We have Unforgiven. Unforgiven. We have... Uh, what was that we, one you just Magnificent watched? Seven. We have Magnificent yeah, we have Seven. Magnificent Seven. Uh, I guess that that's... That must be it. And it would be interesting to put something like uh, maybe Seven Samurai or Yojimbo or something That's like a big that commitment. To, to kind of flesh out the lineage a little bit. True Grit. Yeah, True absolutely. Grit. True Grit is a That's great well. movie. We've great discuss- Have we discussed it on the show? Uh, True Grit? No, I don't think so. Um, so I, think, I really think that we should look into shaking things up a little bit with the show and just... Uh, the way we cover things, it would be really fun to do a couple specials, playing like maybe mm-hmm. three a year, and cover things of that nature, like our favorite Western movies, or and just do I don't know something something not definitive or anything, and just yeah. So if you have any suggestions for us as to that, fire away with that as well. For some clarification, the Milk Carton Kids album is entitled "All the Things That I Did and All the Things That I Didn't Do." <laughs> Um, if you're looking for an album to listen to, I would definitely encourage you to listen along at home and in two weeks you can compare your thoughts to ours. Yeah. Or, or even just listen along and, uh, you can even listen through the album once you can listen through part of it if you don't like it, but it would be, no, actually, no, you can't listen to part of it and then review it. Listen to the album and then email us your thoughts in like a paragraph or two and we'll read them out on the show and it'll be, it'll be kind of groovy. Anyways, it's been so great getting back to this. I've really missed this. 
I think that we should take pictures after this. Like tonight? Yeah. I'm okay. feeling buzzed. I feel like I could do it. Okay. It's only 11. <clears throat> Thank you for tuning in for episode 29 of the Good Ship Brothership. As always, I'm one of your brothers, Jason. And I'm the other one, Grant. Until next time, we will... Peace out and hold your toes. Okay, maybe don't do that. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay.